Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth, which is so big and sometimes scary to us, and you made it small. And you conquered evil. And you died for our sins so that we could spend eternity with you. Lord, we pray for the people in Romania that have not yet been saved, that tonight through the speaking of Jose and through the message of friends that they come to know the one true God, Jesus Christ. Lord, for our people here that don't know you, if there's anybody in this gathering here today that don't know you, today they're also going to have a chance to say yes to Jesus. But many of us here today are already following you, Jesus. We thank you. We just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us and being with us. And as we open up the scripture today, Lord Jesus, we ask that you and your spirit be our teacher. Lord, make me small. Make me disappear into the background so that people can hear from you. And all God's people said, amen. Well, again, my welcome to you, especially if this is your first time here. Obviously, Jose is traveling. And I just want to follow up a little bit on what Nate said. Because my lovely bride of 33 years is here. Her name is Vicki. And I noticed when Nate said, are you a morning person? She didn't raise her hand. And they said, are there any evening people? She didn't raise her hand. If you were to talk to my bride, she would tell you there's a third choice. <laughs> she describes herself as a midday pe person. And she's told people, I see her, I peak between 10 and 2. And that's a good thing because she's going to help me teach the studies this afternoon. So she's going to be peaking. I might be a little worn out. I don't think so because I'm, I'm just fired up about today's text, but uh, Vicki, thanks for putting up with me for 33 years. She's awesome. And, and we have some really fabulous news. I mean, this is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to us in 33 years of marriage. We're going to be grandparents for the first time in May. And man, the only thing I'm worried about is my credit cards because Vicki, man, I... She's a lover, and she's going to love these kids. I say kids. There's only one on the way, but we think there's going to be more behind them. <laughs> uh, and it's a boy. We had girls. We're going to have a boy, so that's kind of cool. I'm literally really looking forward to that. And the daughter that's having the baby lives here. Her name's Jamie, her husband Morgan. They live here, so that's kind of neat. We go to see him. Our other daughter, Kelsey, and her husband, Michael, they live, in down, they live down in San Jose. And... He, he's still getting his master's, so timing for kids isn't quite right. Yet, I think they feel responsible and they want to help prepare us to be grandparents. So they have a puppy. So we have a grand puppy. And I want to show a picture of the grand puppy. This is Ginger. Oh, I mean, I mean, you just don't get any more adorable and fuzzy than that. And Ginger, we got to meet this Christmas as the whole family gathered around. We all had Christmas at our house. And Michael... Uh, Kelsey's husband, they do this kind of interesting thing. I think this is a California dog training thing. They hang these bells on a doorknob, and then Ginger goes over and hits the bells, and then that's her way of saying, I want to go outside. So she's over there ringing the bells, and Michael, my son-in-law, gets up, and he walks over, opens up the door, and as Ginger goes out, he says, Ginger, make good choices. <laughs> like, I don't think that... <laughs> is going to listen. <laughs> that cute little adorable puppy is going to do whatever she wants. But I give Michael an A for effort. And it kind of reminded me, you know, we got, we do, they, it was a little bit of grandparent training. We got a grandchild coming along, and I'm going to have to 
help the boy, my grandson, make good choices as he is raised up. And I hope he comes to follow the Lord at an early, early age. But, you know, there's things about choices that we, we need to all learn. And the scriptures today are going to help us with that quite a bit. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. And just to help the OCT, OCD people in the crowd, I'm one of them. Just to help you out, we have a fairly long passage, so we're not going to go any other places. We're going to start in Romans 6, verse 14, and go all the way to Romans 7, verse 6. And I'll explain why in a second. But a fairly, a fairly long chunk of verses, and we're going to go through them a chunk at a time. But the reason why I say choices matter is because we've been saying for months now that Jesus changes everything. And we've been saying that we want to help people experience life in Jesus. Well, if Jesus changes everything and we want to help people experience life in Jesus, that means we're going to be presented with some choices. And we want to make wise choices. So Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is going to help us out. First thing I need to do is, some of you probably weren't here last week. We need to review quickly last week's message. Why is that? Because in Romans 6 and 7... What Paul does is he asks three rhetorical questions. There are three pretty easy rhetorical questions, all with the answer, no. The first question Jose covered last week. This week we're going to cover question two. And you guessed it, next week when Jose's back, he's going to cover question three. So question two is in the middle, and we'll cover that. But what I want you to, to remember if you were here and if you weren't here, just get a quick glance at what question what one was because the argument is a common thread. Question one from last week was this. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And Paul says, no. Here up on the screen are some notes from Jose's teaching. And again, go listen to the podcast to get the, the juicy detail. But here are three main points that he had for us from last week. We are a new people when we decide to follow Jesus. We are a new people. Second, we're united with Jesus. And third, we're called to a new life. That was the main part of the message uh, last week, first half of Romans 6. We're a new people, united with Jesus, called to a new life. Now notice, if you're like me, you say, wait a minute, the question you asked, Paul, was pretty simple. This seems pretty deep and profound. Welcome to Romans. That's just the way Paul writes. Romans is this thick, meaty passage. This is why I'm so excited to come here and help you unpack it and help me understand it more as well. So that's last week. Fast forward to this week. Romans 6 verse 14 is where we're going to start. The question is actually in verse 15, but we want to rewind just one verse to get the context. context. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 and 15. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Here's the question. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Paul says emphatically, no. Shall we sin because we're not under the law? No. What Paul is saying is now that you're united with Jesus, sin is no longer your master. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This gives us hope that when we're united with Jesus, we're not bound to sin anymore. And he says this interesting phrase, we're not under the law, but under grace. So we're free to do whatever we want, right? Not so fast, says Paul. 
we're not free to do whatever we want. Now, many of you know that my younger brother is the Portland chief of police. He happens to be here at this service, sitting down front. And good news is nobody's sitting behind him because he's 6'4". Uh, yes, he is my brother biologically. Yes, I did ask my parents if I was adopted, and they said no. Just that's how the gene pool works. Uh, but he's the chief of police of Portland. What you don't probably know about me is my other brother, my older brother, is a career FBI agent, and he retired from the FBI a couple years ago. So my life is basically a law enforcement sandwich. <laughs> and I got these two guys in between me. I can't get away with anything at all. But my older brother happened to be in town last week, and I asked him about diplomatic immunity because we've all seen it in Law and Order or NCIS, whatever your crime show is. At some point in this series, one of the diplomats will commit murder and get away with it, right, because they have diplomatic immunity. So, you know, it's Hollywood, so you always got to question Hollywood for sure. But I asked my FBI brother, is that true? Is that really how that works? And he says, actually, believe it or not, it is. The way this works is if a diplomat comes to the U.S., they apply for diplomatic immunity. And if the U.S. says, yes, you have diplomatic immunity, then the diplomat can literally get away with murder. They won't get prosecuted for it. Now, what the U.S. will do is send them back to their own country. Like, you're out of here. But they can't prosecute them. They can't send them to jail. This is actually how it works in real life. In Bible language, we would say the diplomat is free to sin because they have immunity. And what Paul is telling us today is we don't have some weird sort of Christian diplomatic immunity. Yes, we're under grace, but that does not give us a license to sin and to do whatever we want. Why not? Because we're united with Jesus and Jesus is our new master. So we have a new master. Sin is no longer our master. For your note takers, this is the big first point of this passage. Jesus is our new master. From this point, we're going to keep running on down through verse 16 and go through verse 18. Verse 16 and 18. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, there were, you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And who is the most righteous? Who is the righteous one? It's Jesus. We become slaves to Jesus. So Paul, in this section of the passage, clearly explains that we can make a choice. A, offer ourselves as slaves to sin, or B, offer ourselves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We have a choice of who we're going to offer ourselves to. And this theme will continue all the way into chapter 12. And if you know the Bible, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12 talks about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. More on that a few weeks down the road. Combining last week's teaching and this week's teaching, we see that the old you and the old me, before Jesus, we were slaves to sins. 
sins. We, yeah, because I have more than one sin. Sins. We are slave to sin. But now that we're united to Jesus, we're called to a new life. Look at verse 17 again. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves, you came to obey, and this phrase is interesting, from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. What is that? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Sin no longer controls us. We have a new person that we are in allegiance with, and his name is Jesus. He's our new master. He is the righteous one. Now, I have to stop for just a second because I want to explain a little bit about slavery. And for years, every time I read that word, you know, I just kind of get, oh, I don't like it. What's there to like about slavery? Well, I don't have any problem with Jesus being my master. I like the master part of slavery, but the slave part of being a sl uh, slavery, you know, there's a lot of cruelty in that. And I think back to slavery in the U.S. with the brutal conditions and the starvation and the beatings and the whippings and the death, the horrific reality of slavery. I go, why would Paul use that? Well, I've come to understand that in the first century, there were additional forms of slavery that are different than in the U.S. Now, that's not to make light of any slavery and by any means. In fact, in the ancient world, there was some slavery that was just as bad as American slavery. The Assyrians, evil people. Slavery was I can't even tell you in a public forum like this some of the things they did to people. And when the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh, it was pretty brutal. It was nasty. It was bad. But there was in the first century, specifically in Rome, which this is a letter to the church in Rome, there was a different form of slavery. Still harsh, still cruel, but not quite as bad. And it was a legitimate way of life for people in Rome. See, what, what would happen is if you had no means to eat, no way to provide for yourself, you could offer yourself to be a slave. First of all, notice this isn't a race thing. This wasn't a black, white racial slavery. This is just a person who had no means to provide for themselves. And they could actually offer themselves as a slave. And interestingly, in this form of slavery, the slaves had some rights. If you were Hebrew, you could actually celebrate Sabbath. You could celebrate all the Jewish festivals. You could actually gain a skill and become a skilled laborer. You could be an administrator and you could actually get paid. So this form of slavery was a little bit more like indentured servitude where you got paid. Now we don't have anything like this in the U.S. today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because it was still harsh and bad. But the closest thing, I want to give us an analogy where we could maybe think through this so we could apply to this. The closest thing we probably have today, even though it's not a good analogy, it's the closest analogy, is military service. So let's say you're 18 years old. You graduate from high school. You have no way to get a job, no way to go to college. One of your options, one of your choices is to join the military. And you sign up for a period of service. And in a way, you become a slave to the military. And they're actually going to pay you, and you have a way to get free. You can gain your freedom, like in the first century. But you're still a slave. My wife and I spent a little bit of time in the military, and I'm here to tell you, you got to go where they tell you to go. 
When they say, you're going to South Korea, you don't go, ah, I don't want to go to South Korea. You're going to South Korea, but I don't want to go. We got this thing called a brig, and a brig is a jail. And if you don't go to South Korea, you're going into the jail. I mean, it's, it's really, in a way, you're like a slave when you're in the military. Hopefully, they treat our folks right. But in that sense, this is the way Paul writes this passage. Because the reality is slavery was very, very common in the first century, especially in Rome. It was so prevalent that society had some problems and they were worried about the slaves' uh, uprising against the establishment. So with that as a background, we could jump into this next section of the text starting in verse 19. Romans 6, verse 19, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So Paul says, in everyday life, everybody knew about slaves. Some estimates have a, a show us seeing one slave for every two people. So there was a lot of slaves. I don't know if that's right, but that's some estimate. Keep going in the text. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now, here's the command, by the way. Here's the imperative, as Jose has been telling us. This is our choice. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. And then the rest of this section is all factual things. These are the indicatives Jose has been mentioning. These are things that are true of you and me if we're saved. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at, the time from the thi at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The imperative in this passage, the command, is to offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. And that's Paul's giant point number two. We offer ourselves to Jesus because he is the righteous one and he's the one that leads us to holiness. Look again at verse 22 quickly. And we'll see that this verse is a factual statement. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. This is the, the good news of the gospel. We have been set free. Now I want to pause just for a second and, and look at this next verse and make sure we don't miss it. Because Romans 6, verse 23 is perhaps one of the most famous verses in all the book of Romans and maybe one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. So I just want to rush over it because there's something here that we have to absolutely not miss. And what I don't want you to miss is that we do have a choice, but we don't want to misunderstand the choice. The choice is not earn death or earn life. That is not the choice that's depicted here. The choice is earn death, or what does it say? Receive life. Huge difference. Huge ramifications to what we believe about Jesus and the Bible and the gospel and how we are saved. So we can't miss this. John Stott calls this an inexact parallel. It's an asymmetric choice. We must absolutely not get confused today, guys and gals, because I'm going to be talking about choices and we don't want to get to the point where 
we have to choose to obey so that we get into heaven. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. We have to choose to receive the gift of eternal life. And then choose to obey and serve Jesus as our master. You get the difference? You guys following me? And that's the way it works in the Christian world. Now, so far, Paul hasn't tackled this phrase back from the question under the law. Under the law. He hasn't tackled that. Remember what the question was? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Well, Paul's going to explain that now in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And I'll warn you, the illustration Paul gives is a, is a little bit hard to follow if you don't sit down and spend some time looking at it. And it's easily misunderstood. So let me tell you the punchline first, and then we'll read it and then and review it. The punchline is this. Death frees us from the law. You go, what? That what do you mean death frees us from the law? That's what Paul's going to say. Hold on, let's read it and we'll figure it out together. Okay, Romans 7, verse 1 to 4. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, the church of Rome knew the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then... If she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But, and here comes the key, this is the key of what the example, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. Because of a death, there's a releasing from the law. Now let's look in verse 4 how Paul actually applies it because he moves from the example to the application like a good teacher that he is. Verse 4, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. And who's the another? To him who was raised from the dead, Jesus, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So Paul gives us an example to explain what he means by under the law. And I would encourage you to not overthink this one. This is one that we could easily overthink. Because people get into this and they go, well, the guy died, the woman died, the man died. What's going on here? Just remember this. Somebody died, released from the law. That's all I have to remember. Here's the summary, I think. The death of Jesus releases us from the law. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new life. It's not that the law is bad. Let me say that again. It is not that the law is bad or doesn't have value for us today. Jose is going to get into that more next week with the third question because he'll deal with this a little bit with the law. Vicki and I will get into it this afternoon with the Torah. There's a lot of benefits and, the, and value to the law, but we're not under the law. We're released from the law. Now what I've been trying to do, and you guys can help me out and call me on this if I make a mistake, I've been trying to watch my language when it comes to the law and the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and the Torah. Jesus said what? I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So I look at those words and say, okay, easy. I'm not going to say abolish the law because that's just wrong. But I've said incorrectly, I think, 
that the Old Testament is old, so it doesn't matter. Uh, that's not right. It does matter. The Old Testament is obsolete. Uh, that's not right either because it's still valuable. You see, you see what I'm saying here? We've got to be careful how we look at the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is 75% of the Bible. God gave it to us for a reason. But when we read all those Old Testament sacrifices and all the stuff that to us today go, wow, this is kind of crazy, we're not under that law. But we are under Jesus who fulfilled that law. So it still has value to it. Okay, moving on to the next two verses, Paul's going to land the airplane, so to speak. He's had this, remember when we started with a pretty simple question. And then we get into all this stuff. And you're like, Paul, wow, you are a genius. I mean, you get, I mean, wow, what's going on here? But he really lands the plane in verses 5 and 6 and then we'll apply it. Verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, and in Paul's lingo, realm of the flesh is a realm of sin in this passage. The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, contrast this, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. There's that passage. Uh, that phrase again, we're released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let me read that again because this is key. So that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So what Paul does here is he introduces us to a new word. And I think it's a cool word. The word is realm. Realm is synonymous with the word kingdom. And kingdom is one of Jesus' favorite descriptors. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven quite a bit. Quite a bit. He's talking about the realm of God. The kingdom of heaven. And what we're seeing here is we have a choice in these last two verses. We have a choice to live in the realm of sin, even though we're saved. We could live in the realm of sin, or we could live in the realm of God. We have a choice between the, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. So Paul's third main point is that we serve Jesus in the new way of the spirit. And the new way of the spirit is living in the realm of God, under the realm of God, following the ways of the Holy Spirit. Not sinning, but obedient service to our new master. Now, Paul has a lot more to say about this, but it's not until chapter 8. And I got to tell you, there's part of me that gets kind of fired up. And I thought about this this morning, how much trouble I would be in if I said, okay, we're done for today. Anybody that can't wait for a few weeks to get to Romans 8, just hang around. And we'll just stay here all afternoon. We'll get to Romans 8. And then Jose comes back and go, by the way, Jose... You're on Romans 9 now because we kind of kept going. <laughs> I don't know what he would do to me, but it, uh, he'd probably fire me. So we serve Jesus in the new way of the Spirit, and Paul's going to say a lot more about that. But for now, for today, what could we say? Because I don't want to leave you with this, i got to wait for Romans 8. Today, let's talk about practical applications of how that looks in today's environment. So I'm going to throw up on the screen. A summary of what Paul has said so far. Jesus is our new master. Jesus is our new master. Not sin anymore. 
We offer ourselves to Jesus. That's a choice. We say, here, Jesus, I'm yours. Take me, use me. And then we serve, not under the written code, but in the new way of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at a couple examples, a couple of contrasts between the realm of sin and the realm of the Spirit. Here's the first one. We've kind of already, already hit this one. The realm of sin says you could do whatever you want. You have diplomatic immunity. Go for it. You're under grace, just go sin. But the realm of the Spirit says no. You should do and be what God wants. My brother Michael and I were at a men's event Friday night at City Bible Church, and one of the pastors made a big point of this, and it, re it really touched me. So I'm going to share it with you. He said, in his life, he struggled with being a doer. And I'm like that because I'm a task guy. i got to go do something, right? And he realized, this pastor, through some personal struggles, that the first thing he had to do is just be a son or be a daughter. Just be. Jesus has saved us and we're adopted into his family and we're her, his kids. And we got to get over this thing. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Because that subtly moves into I have to earn Jesus' favor. Jesus loves us just the way we are. We hear that all the time, but how do we actually live that out? We be his son or be his daughter. And then he does want us to do something with our life. But Jesus also said, not my will, but your will. So after we spend some time just being his son and being his daughter, then we ask, what would you have me do, Lord Jesus? What would you have me do? And then follow it. We have to be obedient to that. Now, this goes awry in our world because the world's telling us, do whatever you want. You could be whatever you want to be. This, the illustration I have you for today is in the world of sports because we see this a lot with really, really high-end athletes going to tell kids, you just have to believe in yourself. You just have to be the best you can be. You just have to try, 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 and go for it and go for it and go for it. And then you could be a NBA football player, NBA, yeah. NBA basketball player or an NFL football player. You could be an NBA you know what I'm trying to say. You could be a professional athlete like me. But, but the reality is, is most of them won't be able to be professional athletes. What's wrong with that philosophy is God's left out. God's pushed off to the side. And instead of us saying we should be all we can be in our own strength, how about saying you could be all God wants you to be. And we got to go find out what that is. The culture says winning is everything. So what if the football's not properly inflated? I'm not going to say anymore. I might get myself in trouble. But the way of the spirit, the kingdom and realm of the spirit is to obey the rules, to be righteous and holy. My friend Christian is here and his wife Rhonda. And Christian is one of these high-end athletes. He's not NBA or NFL, but he's an endurance athlete. He's an Ironman, an Ultraman. And if he were up here, he would tell you he couldn't be that without his wife, Rhonda. By the way, I think it's really cool, guys, that Rhonda's a masseuse. And if I was an, if I was an endurance athlete, I'd want to be married to a masseuse. There's just something really kind of cool about that. But I heard Christian give a talk the other day, and I didn't know this about him because I know he's been top ten in the world and Ultraman and all this stuff I can't even imagine. 
But he was giving a talk to a, a Christian university, and he told the athletes, I've never won anything. I've never won a race. And I went, wow, that is so cool that God uses us, not winners in air quotes. He uses us just the way they are. Now, I do hope that someday he wins a race, and I think he wants to win a race. There's nothing wrong with one winning, but it's how we win. It's how we live in the spirit. Okay, the next Illustration, next example. The realm of sin worships independence. And the realm of the spirit worships dependence. Dependence on others and dependence on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The American value system worships autonomy. How many people have heard or said, like me, because I'm a sinner just like you, I want to be my own boss. Why do you want to be your own boss? Because I'm tired of my current boss. I want to be autonomous. I don't want to work on a team. I want to be my own person. And the reality, because I actually have been my own boss, I have owned a business, is you aren't your own boss. You are always accountable to somebody for something at some point, even if you're your own boss. But for the realm of the, of the spirit, the reality is ultimately we're always answering to Jesus I know it's cheesy to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus is our boss because Jesus is our master. He is our master. So we have to get away from this thing of autonomy and independence and worshiping independence. Third illustration, the realm of sin resists authority. And the realm of the spirit embraces the authority of Jesus. This is probably mankind's oldest sin if we look back to the story in Adam of Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve chose to, to disobey, what were they disobeying? They were disobeying God's authority. God said, don't eat of the fruit. And they went, think I'm going to do it anyway. They just disobeyed. That's the reality of the situation. Fast forward today, I'm a little worried that our beloved city of roses is going to be renamed the city of protests. And since the chief is here with us this morning... I saw him interviewed on TV. And by the way, I'm not going to get political because, frankly, po politics kind of bore me. I'm way more interested in the kingdom of God than the kingdom of politics. But my brother's doing an amazing job. And I'm just going to lift him up because you could do that. And now he'll probably find another church to go to. <laughs> but... Here's what he said on an interview. Um, he was getting interviewed about the protest, and he said, if you want to protest, the police will actually help you. There's forms to fill out. We'll tell you where to go. The laws to obey will actually help you because there's nothing wrong with the peaceful, lawful protest. This is part of our country. And then the interviewer said, well, what about when they start throwing things at the police and, and, and taking the freeways? And he, my brother's a man of a lot less words than me. And he said, oh, that, that's not protesting. That's just criminal behavior. <laughs> that's so perfect. And that's our example for today. That is resisting authority. Now, if you want to go protest lawfully and legally, have at it. Don't ask me to come along. Personally, this is my personal opinion, I have other things I want to serve. But, you know, there's some people that, that need to, to go do that. Last example, perhaps the most important of the day. The realm of sin says this, serve yourself at the expense of others. 
And the realm of the spirit just flips that out on its head. It says, serve others at the expense of yourself. That's love God and love others in a nutshell. I had a former boss. By the way, this is one of these guys that like you, you work under this guy, and this is why you want to be your own boss. This guy was not a very good boss. And he, he wasn't a marriage counselor. I'm not a marriage counselor. This was in an investment community. And my boss was literally giving a coworker some marriage advice. And, my, and it was an open environment. I wasn't eavesdropping. I just stand on the side, listen to this. And he said, here's, here's what we need to do for, in our marriages. We need to get more than we give. I went, whoa, that's a little backwards from what I know. And then he goes, you need to make sure that scales tip in your favor. Because otherwise your wife's taking advantage of you and she's getting more out of you than you're getting out of her. You want, you make sure you don't do that. Wow. But, you know, we're shocked by this. But I got to tell you, that is the realm of sin. That is the realm of the world. People won't come out and say that is frankly, is my old boss, but that's reality of the life. What if we were different Christians? What if we served others at the expense of ourselves? What would it look like if this week every single married couple in this church, the spouses found something between now and next Sunday to go do for their spouse, expecting absolutely nothing in return? And don't worry about the scales. What if you're here and you're single and you found a friend? Just go do something out of love, expecting nothing in return. What if you're here as a middle schooler or a high schooler and you just go do a chore for your parents that's not on the allowance chore sheet and not expect to get paid for it? Well, you got to pick mom and dad up off the floor, right, after that. <laughs> but that's what the kingdom of the spirit, the realm of the spirit is. I'm going to ask the band to come forward now. You can close up your Bible. We're going to respond to this in some way. And there's, there's kind of two different ways to respond. And one, since we have Romans 6.23 this week, one way we have to respond is by receiving the gift of eternal life if you haven't already. The text I read at the beginning said this lady had been to seven Meeting. She heard the message of the gospel seven times. And you go, wow, she's a slow learner. You go, no, actually, that's average. That's what the average person has to hear. I'm a slow learner. I listened to the message of the gospel for 18 years before I finally got on my knees and said yes. So in a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you're like me and you've been going to church and you've been being a good person and trying to do the right thing, but you've never stopped and said, I can't earn my way to heaven. I have to receive heaven from Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a second. And then we'll continue our prayer. And for those of you that are here and you've already received the gift of eternal life, you're already following Jesus. Well, then... We need to be like my grand puppy, Ginger. We need to make good choices. And good choices means living in the realm of the spirit, not living in the realm of sin. Let's pray together. If we could just have everybody bow their heads. If you're here and you're saved, pray along with me for those around you. I have no idea if there's someone here that's not saved, but the last thing we wanna do is preach this message and not give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, we love you. 
and you love us and you gave your son Jesus who came to this earth and saved us, saved us from ourselves, saved us from our sins. Lord, we repent of those sins right now. We confess we are unholy and we confess you are holy. You are the righteous one. So Lord Jesus, right now, for those who have never said yes and said, come be my savior and receive this gift, we pray that you say that right now. Lord Jesus, be my savior. Let me allow myself to be humble and accept the gift of eternal life. Do that right now in your heart. And I'm gonna pause with every head bowed. If you did that right now, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you up, but please do just raise your hand between before you and God to say, yes, I one salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody at all. It doesn't matter if there's anybody or not, as long as we have this choice to receive. Let's continue praying. Father, we thank you for the choices that you've given us to make. We thank you that you are our master and that you've given us the Holy Spirit so we could serve in a new way not under the written code, but with the power of the Holy Spirit indwelt us to make good cho choices. Lord, help us this very week, starting Monday morning, to go out, serve others with love, not expecting anything in return. And all God's people said, amen.